2: Listener discretion is advised.
3: Thanks for joining us today on another episode of Body to Burial. I'm Mariah. And I'm Nikki. We're just two regular true crime junkies who decided it was time to see crime from a new perspective. This is Body to Burial. What are you doing right now? I am just hanging out. I just had a lovely dinner because it's uh, two hours ahead my time. So... Mm just had a, a dinner and I'm drinking a cocktail and uh I'm ready to to talk to your guest. I'm super excited to see who you have for us. Okay, well we have
2: Julie McFadden. She is a hospice nurse and Really? Yes, and people will know her on TikTok or Instagram as Hospice Nurse Julie. All right. Yeah, she kind of does like um you know post videos and informs people of hospice and the misconceptions and just all about hospice really and like what to expect
3: okay i'm going to i'm going to look her up on instagram hospice nurse julie got it oh my god she's so adorable right she's so cute she's like a little barbie she's like nurse barbie isn't she cute okay i'm excited this is like something I'm very fortunate in that I don't have any experience with. So I'm really interested to understand her job and her role. I was excited to talk to her just
2: because we, my family and my father-in-law, you know, we were just recently in this area of work and all of this. And so uh, yeah, I kind of would like to talk to her cause there are certain things that even though going through the process, you still don't know. And like, you still get, cause when you're in it, you're just in this like mode of what's happening, what's going to happen and the process and all the, and it's very different. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of talk to her about different experiences, I guess, and different Misconceptions that some people might have, like I had when you hear the word hospice and just really what they do.
3: Yeah, I mean, I feel like when I hear hospice, I think like of kind of like a nursing home facility, like a center. So I'm assuming, does she do in home care or is she with a facility? I don't know because there's probably different ones because we went with a company
2: but they come in home and I would assume, you know, I know of other people that are in the hospital settings with that. So I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure which one she does. We were just having to go through that and it would be, you know, interesting to hear it from the other perspective instead of just, you know, on my side, which it's the family We're we're just the family. Right. That was, our one experience where this is her daily experience, which has to be tough.
3: I could imagine it's tough, right? You're, you're dealing with something and when everybody's emotions are very raw and on the surface and yeah, you know, this is where, you know, I think my oddness comes out, but one of the questions that kind of pops in my head is I'm, I'm curious to see, um, if she'd be willing to speak to how many of her patients talk about seeing, um, their family members that have passed away or angels or light. Like I'm always very curious as to what people see. Like um, my grandma died on the table during a um, open heart surgery, but she was revived, but she has all these stories about like seeing different things. And so I'm curious to see if she sees things, because I don't know if your mom did this Nikki, but um, when my mother-in-law's mom passed away, she, couple days prior, she talked a lot about her mom and like asking when her mom was coming to pick her up and that she was waiting for her mom to come. So I've heard that kind of like, um, theory or story. I don't know what you want to call it of people that are passing, that they start to talk about people that are no longer here as if they are here and like very vividly.
2: Yeah. She didn't talk about that, which she talked about like, you know, we're not a real typical, like, religious family. And so mm-hmm. she said, like, the week before she passed, she was talking about how she, my dad walked in, and she was talking to someone, and she said that she was talking to God, and my dad's like, oh, okay. You know, like, <laughs> wait, <laughs>
3: tell my I what's up. So like,
2: hi. And so... And my dad asked her like, oh, okay, that's, that's cool. And then she said it made her feel better is, and that he's making her feel better. So to me, I was, I kind of am taking that as maybe what you are saying, like
3: there was that something process, there giving her yeah. comfort, something. Yeah. I mean, I've read all sorts of stories about like people seeing angels or light or, you know, loved ones yeah. or what have you. So yeah, I'm really interested to see if that's like a common thread because almost then it's kind of like a way of like the universe answering our questions as to like what happens, you know, does somebody come and help us guide us through? Okay. Well, we're going to have to call her, but I'm really going to try hard not to
2: cry. So I'm just going (laughs) to,
3: if you do, it's okay. I think this is an emotional, an emotional one and that's all right. Uh... I'll jump in and save you if you. you need to catch up. Yeah,
2: I'm really going to be working on that crying, but we'll see what happens. Okay, let me call her. Hi,
1: this is Julie.
2: Hi, Julie. It's Nikki. Hey, Nikki. Hi. How Good. How are you? Great. Hey, Julie. Thanks for joining us.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me.
2: So I, uh, we just start off with um, just to introduce yourself for us and tell us who you are and what you do.
1: My name is Julie McFadden. I am a hospice and palliative care nurse. Um, I'm also, (laughs) this is funny, but I'm also known as hospice nurse Julie on TikTok and Instagram.
2: I love that. I think that's great because that's that's how I found you was your Instagram and I was like, oh, she's so cute. (laughs) And then I watched a couple of your videos and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I was telling Mariah because my um uh I just had experience last year in with hospice, not in hospice, but with hospice. My uh mom passed away actually a year ago on Saturday, and my father-in-law was in hospice. And so yeah, I thought it would be interesting and neat to talk to you about hospice and kinda talk about it and you know clear up some, uh, cause probably like what I had was nervous when you hear the word, you know, hospice and you,
1: yeah. So it gets a bad, it gets a bad rap. That's for sure. That's why I started the whole, um, TikTok and Instagram platform just to, uh, you know, educate the, um, I was going to say the world, (laughs) which sounds silly, but it kind of has turned into that, which it's like, Hey, I'll take it. That's amazing. I'm, I'm, it's, I'm happy people are even willing to listen. I didn't think they really would be, but it's been really great. So I'm, I'm, I'm all for it, ladies.
2: Yeah. I was telling uh, Mariah, cause I have a quick question and that'll kind of bring us into everything probably. And is we had my mom in palliative care before we went into hospice. And to be honest with you, even to this day, I have no clue what palliative care is. And like, what? what that was. I mean, we just were like, okay, I guess that's what we got to do. And then, then obviously when it got closer, then we switched gears into hospice, but what's the difference between the two? Thank you so much for asking.
1: I get that question a lot of times and do not worry. You're not alone. No one knows what palliative care is. (laughs) And it actually is a very gray, uh, grayish area i feel like hospice is a little more uh not a little more uh hospice is very regulated it's federally funded by medicare so the government basically gives gives everybody who has a hospice company money like it's fully funded by medicare um so hospices all around america anyway are pretty much run the same and they have to be because they're governed by medicare if that makes sense. So palliative care is not. And they can sort of offer different things depending on agency, depending on the hospital. There's inpatient palliative care, meaning in-hospital palliative care. There's home palliative care. And different agencies will offer different things for palliative care than other agencies. So it is much more gray, just FYI. So you're not alone and not knowing <laughs> what the heck it is. Yeah. Um, a lot of people call it like the step before hospice. I don't like calling it that personally because it's not really, um, palliative care to me is like a no brainer to do if you can qualify for it, because the whole point of palliative care is to manage symptoms that are happening because of some disease that you have, usually a disease that's quote unquote, because that's very, this is very general too, but like a terminal disease or something very serious, right? That, Mm -hmm. um. Is causing you to have a lot of symptoms or the, the treatment you're having for the disease is causing you to have a lot of symptoms. And um, palliative care is there strictly to help manage those. So you don't have to spend your whole life in and out of the emergency room in and out of clinics because of symptoms you're having because of this disease. So that's the whole point of palliative care. There is criteria. Technically you're supposed to have a year or less likely to live um again that's very gray uh but that is the technical like criteria along with other things like weight loss functional ability like functional decline mental decline um symptoms right some kind of symptoms some kind of illness so but it's more gray and that's why it's less defined yeah
2: cuz i i they just were and and when you're in that state you're just like all you're hearing is like the end and death and what's going to happen. So when they start saying like palliative and this and that, and it just, you're like freaking out over every word that they say, cause you hear, you know, hospice and you're like, and before I've experienced this, I thought hospice was like, you have three days, that's it. Or a day or a week, but never like my father-in-law was on it from May until January. And, you know, I didn't know that it was, it could be longer. It obviously could be shorter, but yeah, I didn't know there was so much room around there. I thought it was just, this is it. And then sometimes then your brain takes you to also like, do they really need it? Maybe they're just saying that, but they wouldn't put you in hospice or palliative care if that's not the end, you know?
1: from right well with palliative too i mean like i said i think both both programs get a bad rap um and you know it feels (laughs) so many people say like oh well not yet Mm -hmm. you know the whole like well not yet because i think they think once they sign up for it it's like now i can't now we've given up we've done nothing Mm -hmm. else no one's gonna care Mm -hmm. you know like no one's going to try to do anything and, um, it's just not true, you know, and, and and it's not, not that it's not true. It is, it's it's not true, but, yeah. but hospice obviously is comfort, comfort care only, but, um, uh, there is a lot we can do on hospice to, to help quality of life. And, um, and I think it's a lot, I think in healthcare in general, we need to do a lot of reframing. <laughs> like I think in general, doctors and nurses and Uh, really need to do a good better job at really talking to people Mm -hmm. no (laughs) yeah taking the time and explaining (laughs) what the heck is happening yeah and why are we choosing this and why is it the better choice and here are your options I mean just so often it's and really there's not enough time and that's that's another I mean don't get me started I'm probably going off on a tangent I'll, (laughs) I'll finish with this but in general like I think a lot of Doctors and nurses do really care and do really want to take the time, but then there isn't the time. Mm -hmm. So then everyone's rushed and then it, you know, it's just, there's a whole, Mm -hmm. there's a whole big healthcare issue.
2: Yeah, because you want answers and no one's giving you a real answer and you just, you just need an answer. Whether it's what you want to hear or not, it's just, you kind of want to know it's the unknown and you want to know a process and what people you know, the, you obviously know the process because you see it day in, day out. I've never experienced it. So for us, it was like, you know, just scary going into it, not knowing. And, and then it's just little things that just like one nurse that came um, to my mom's and he had a rip on his, you know, shirt or whatever it was like, his like scrubs. Mm. And then that's like all I was fixated on, like, I'm like, oh, we got to get a new nurse because, you know, he's got a rip and he doesn't know what he's doing. And, you know, like just because he has a rip on his shirt doesn't mean he doesn't know what he's doing. But in your head, you're so emotional about everything that a rip on a shirt is like life ending and, you know, then they can't do their job. But, yeah, it's just scary for the families and, you know, probably almost every family, I would assume. I don't know. I've, I haven't, you know, I hope to never have to do this again, but that's just not life. Apparently.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. Right. Uh, everyone, everyone does die. I, that's, And I always say that including me. So everyone knows that I also understand that I will die too. And my family, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, that's why I, I mean, I really have a passion for, trying to make it not sad because it is it's sad and it can be really painful but just this idea of like not pushing it under the rug not making it hush hush like not being afraid to um, start having these hard conversations and and educating just about the topic in general so it doesn't have to feel so scary mm-hmm. um, or if it is scary then at least just say that right like you mm-hmm. can just say like oh, this is really scary
3: how did you get into this it seems like kind of like um, an odd choice, because like you said, you're kind of dealing with death on a daily basis. And a lot of people would be like, Oh, no thanks. That's not for me. How did you choose it?
1: Well, I was, an IC- I've been a nurse for 14 years. I was an ICU nurse prior to this, which is an intensive, I don't know if you guys know nursing, but it's like an mm-hmm. intensive care unit nurse. Right. So mm-hmm. I spent most of my career, like trying to keep people alive and, um, And I did all types of different types of, there are different ICUs. There's trauma ICUs, there's surgical, there's medical, um, there's cardiac. So I did all of, I did the gamut, you know, like trying to skip around and figure out where I belonged. Um, And really, uh, I it, it was nine years too long. Um, <laughs> I was glad I, I, I did it a couple years um, and I really was like dead inside. It was like they said to me, I thought I made the wrong choice. I hated nursing. I like hated it. It wasn't like what I thought it was going to be. It was so, um, de- that was depressing. It was so sad. It felt like none of us knew how to talk to the families or the patients. Uh, none, none of us knew how to say what was really happening with them, which was they were dying. Um, Not everyone, don't get me wrong, not every single patient was dying in the ICU, but there were many where I thought to myself, we are truly doing a disservice by not having a real conversation with this family about what is going to happen to this patient, you know, and to their loved one. Um, You know, because I think if we had more honest conversations, like, and I don't mean to say it so bluntly, but just, just for the sake of time, you know, like, you're going to likely die. Death is imminent in the next, let's say, six months. Where would you rather be in this ICU trying to not die, even though we know you're going to?
3: Why do you think they they don't have those conversations? Do you think it's a time restraint or do you think it's something they feel like an overstep? Like, why aren't they just laying it out there so black and white?
1: So I think a lot of them, a lot of them, it's all of us. So I think you're in the ICU, so you're kind of trained to not be thinking that way. Right. Like even myself as an ICU nurse was not like trained in thinking that until after years of seeing it, I was like, wait, why aren't we doing this? And the more confident I got, the more I realized just no one was bringing it up. So like when I would start bringing it up and during rounds, people would start having those conversations. I just think their brains uh, like in the ICU, your brains are just wired to like fix, 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 fix. And then I would have those few, few doctors that would do a really good job at that. And then I'd be like, this is what I want to do. I don't know what this is. I wouldn't even call it hospice, but I want to be able to have these conversations." So that's how I ended up here. <laughs> that was yeah. kind of long-winded. But that's <laughs> how I ended up here. And I, and I love nursing now, right? So it's like I always encourage nurses that if you're not happy where you're at, move around because it might not be nursing. It might just be the kind of nursing you're doing.
2: Yeah, because that's what a lot of families... You know, I didn't realize it until it happened with my family, but like, with even though it's a sad, horrible, horrible process, in the end, it can be beautiful to be there with the person that you love. And, you know, like it's awful, but, you know, like it does have a peaceful, you know, feeling to it, which is, something that you're in your own home. And not not everybody obviously is going to be on hospice in their home, but for my mom and my father-in-law, it was nice to have them in a place that there is the place they love the most. They're very comfortable there. They're in their element, as opposed to, we just didn't want my mom to be in a hospital where it's like, okay. And especially because it was during COVID. So we're like, you know, we don't want, anything to where it's like, then she's alone and, or one of us could go in and that would kill us as a family.
3: I don't know if I told you this, Julie, or if I told, I know I told Nikki. Yeah. So I don't know if I told you, but I haven't had any experience, um, fortunately with this part of life yet. So one of my questions, um, that kind of came up when you were talking about being in the hospital setting is, Is there a way for families to know or recognize signs as to when they should start advocating for hospice care instead of waiting for a doctor to bring it up? Like, I guess I'm picturing myself in, in a situation where like, how would I know when I'm at that point? Like what should I be looking for or when I guess, when do I know when I'm there?
1: In general, what I say, like, just so this can stick into people's mind, a little jingle, which is when in doubt, check it out. So, like when in doubt, just check it out because I think people also think that like if they mention the word hospice, it's like all over. Or if hospice comes in, they have to do it. So there's a whole evaluation. I, mean, I actually don't admit a lot of people onto hospice. I go to their homes, we do an evaluation. I hear what their what they were looking for, what their idea of hospice was, where they're at emotionally and and their treatment, blah, blah, blah. And I'll even say like, oh, I actually don't think you're really ready for hospice yet. Right. So like when in doubt, check it out.
3: And what kind of services are, is a patient receiving when they're on hospice? Like what is that? And I'm sure it's different compared, you know, depending on what condition.
1: So the one thing I always say to start with is the one thing hospice doesn't provide in general is 24 hour care. So a lot of the real work, I think falls on the family. If, if the person's at home. So, um, like changing and bathing and feeding and depending on again, how debilitated they are.
2: Yeah. I noticed that too, with my mom, cause she couldn't walk up. We didn't know that we thought, and we didn't want that to be honest. Like, that's why we, we waited a while for hospice. Cause we're like, we don't want someone in the house and we can just do, and we did everything ourselves to, we, we, like I do hair. So I would wheel my mom to the shop and I'd wash her hair and dry her hair at the shop and then wheel her back to the house and until she could get where she couldn't do that anymore. And then I found some cool stuff on Amazon and like that, I can wash her hair in the, um, in the bed in the hospital bed. And like, yeah, which was really nice. Cause I'm like, I kind of just had to, you know, MacGyver, a couple things, but you know, my mom was, she, well, she was young when she passed. And so she, you know, wanted her hair done. And to me, when she stopped wanting me to wash her hair is when I would like, for some reason it like clicked in my head where I'm like, oh my God, she's really sick. Like she doesn't care about her roots and she doesn't care about, you know, washing her hair. And like, it kind of bothered me even though she was okay with it. I'm like, no, I'm washing your hair. And, you know, (laughs) just because I needed that. And she, you know, would let it happen because they had told her in September that she, you know, had about a couple of weeks to a month and she just wanted to make it to December 11th, which is, was my parents' 50th wedding anniversary and my nephew's first birthday. And Literally made it to that exact day. And that's when she passed.
1: A lot of times, too, I think if you're not in hospice, it goes way under the radar. Mm. Right. Like, I think only be, I mean, you just don't know what you don't know. Like, hospice is really specific. Like, even as an ICU nurse, the stuff I know now, I did not know. I just didn't know. It's like a real specific niche that I feel like if you're not there, you don't have a radar for that. You'd almost be like, yeah, he is having a good day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> you wouldn't, but a hospice nurse would be like, Whoa, what's going on here? Like he was, you know, um, hence my TikTok and Instagram.
3: One that I always see in television um, that's commonly portrayed. And I, again, I don't know if it's like a real thing, um, but almost like that rally effect where all of a sudden, like it looks like we've turned a corner and they're getting better and they're acting better and they're happier and telling jokes and then all of a sudden it's like boom, we're downhill. Is that something that happens commonly?
1: Yes, girl. Okay. Okay. At about thirty percent of about thirty percent of patients. So one third. One third of patients. It's not it's not super common, but definitely common enough to you definitely have to educate about it because It's like I want my families to know that can happen so they can enjoy the rally, right? Kind of like the last little gas. The
3: last hurrah. Yeah.
1: But then also know, hey, just a heads up, you know, like so they can enjoy it. Because sometimes if you don't know what's happening, you're almost like, oh, they're having a good day. I'll let them be or, you know, like I want everyone to kind of be around for the rally, knowing Mm -hmm. that they'll likely die in the next day or so. If they don't die in the next day or so, it's not really the rally. So d- rallies are specific. It's like you're super sick. You have this surge of energy or the rally. I, I used to call it the surge, but everyone else calls it the rally. So you have this like surge and rally where you're doing well, and then you usually die shortly after. And if you kind of stay well for a month or so, that's not really a rally. That's I don't know what that is. <laughs>
3: a miracle.
2: <laughs> yeah, that happened to my grandpa and I went and saw him. He got seps- sepsis and um did hor- was doing really bad. They moved him into like a skilled nursing center and then I went and saw him and he was, you know, energetic and of course, you know, I'm trying to feed him like chicken nuggets or something, like eat this and he kind of nibbled on it a little bit. I think just for me, you know, to make me feel better. And then he was like alert and talking and, you know, like we had a great conversation and then my dad saw him that night and, um, he wasn't doing good. And then that morning died and it was like crazy where I was. And it, to me it was confusing because I'm like, and no one told me exactly what you just said. Cause I'm like, he was just fine. We were just having chicken nuggets and like talking and, You know, and then how can, like in my head, it was hard to process because they did so good. He was doing good. He was getting better and, you know, and then he died. And yeah, it's just no one explained that there even was a rally. I didn't
1: even know that was a thing at all. Well, there's just these certain, I call them phenomenons that happen at the end of life. Of course, not with everybody. And certain phenomenons happen more than others. Um, and one of them is people like choosing when they'll die. So, so one, it, there's a few things I see, like people will wait until everybody gets there in their mind, who, who everybody is, is kind of like their, their choice, who they want there. Some people will be like holding vigil by the bedside. There'll be like eight people around the bed waiting for this person to die. You know, no one leaving, Staying there for hours, the person will hang on, and then finally the the family will be like, okay, well, we need to go get coffee, we need to get something to eat, maybe we'll take a little nap, and then everyone leaves, and then the person dies, and they're kind of like, oh what the hell, you know, because they were all waiting, and I feel like it's the person being like choosing to die alone or to die with people, and then sometimes they'll pick a date and they'll die <laughs> on that date, and or like you said, they're waiting till. After this date, or before Christmas, or whatever, you know, they don't want to die on their daughter's birthday, so they die the the day before, the day after, um, or they'll say like like your mom, um, or some people will seem really fine, like they're not going to die. I mean, they're on hospice and likely dying soon, but not not that day. And they will say, "No, I'm really tired. I'm 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 going home tonight. I'm I'm done. I I don't want to do this anymore." And they will, and they'll die.
2: Wow. I th- I think that is so crazy, the power of people's minds. And like for my mom in particular, she was just kind of a strong lady and like her, she was a little bullheaded with stuff and like, you know what I mean? So like, I feel like when she made her mind up, that's exactly what was going to happen. And w- I mean, I would have loved her to be like, you know, December of 2050. That would have been cool, but you know, that didn't happen, but it was what we needed. Like at, you know, that night, the, on the 10th at like 11 o'clock at night, my brother lives in China, so he lives overseas. So it was 11, it was the 11th for him and my nephew's birthday. And my mom, like around 11 said that, you know, I'm just done. I'm ready. Call, call him you know, everybody in and she, my kids were there and she took off her oxygen and, you know, she just, and it was funny because she was still in where I can tell she could hear us. Like she couldn't talk anymore. But like my dad was talking about, like my son was asking him like, again, how they met. And my dad's kind of a jokester. And he was talking about how, you know, he's so good looking. And this ugly girl came up and talked to him, like pretending about my mom. And then, Everybody's like laughing because my dad's just crazy like that. And then my mom was like slowly like shaking her head. So you knew she was listening. Like it was neat, you know, it was
1: sad and beautiful, but neat, (laughs) you know? Yeah, she definitely could hear. Hearing is the last thing, like the last sense to go. I mean, obviously she was showing you because she could hear, but but hearing is the last sense to go.
2: Yeah, because I always wondered
1: that. I always wondered if they can hear. Yeah, they can. So we will... Um, of course I can't like with 100% certainty, but they did, they have done studies with EEGs on dying brains and the hearing sensor is the last thing to like turn off basically.
2: Wow. So when you are talking to loved ones in a coma or whatever, they can hear you or,
1: you know. Yeah, we think so. And also people, not just people who are dying, but people, yeah, like sedated in a coma in the ICU when they don't think they can hear you. A lot of patients who come back from that, cause not everyone in the ICU dies, like I said. Uh, we will say they heard so-and-so they'll recognize nurses' voices. They'll, they'll say like, I heard you singing to me. Thank you for, you know, whatever your words are really comforting. So. Wow. They say they don't feel like uncomfortable because sometimes that kind of sounds almost scary if you can't like react, but they say, no, it was very, it's very comforting. It kind of feels like you're far away, but you can still hear people.
2: I would wonder if it'd be like a dream, kind of like, like a dream, like sort of a feeling. Where it feels
1: really I bet real. If you're sedated, I don't know about I don't know about when you're actually dying, uh, but when you're sedated, probably just because of the medications. Yeah. Interesting. I never actually. If you want me to, I can tell you really quick what what you can get with hospice. I feel like I feel bad. I never actually got to that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's I
2: okay.
3: Keep, I keep cutting you off. I keep going down different avenues. <laughs> Yeah, we love to just go wherever it ebbs and flows, so so it's great. Okay, okay. Um, I'll just go really quick. So
1: um, this is how it started. The family provides most of the care, but you get a 24-hour number to call seven days a week anytime for a nurse to come out with changes in conditions or if there's pain or shortness of breath or whatever. You have a case manager who's a nurse that comes out. Standard by Medicare is once a week, but they can come out more than that or every day if there's issues, right? Um, And there's a social worker, a home health aide who can help bathe the patient a couple times a week. And, of course, a doctor uh, that comes out at least once, sometimes more if, if needed. But they're super involved in the care. They're just not always there. It's like the nurses are the eyes and ears for the doctor. Um, and our doctors are great. I love them. Um, and we provide supplies. We can provide equipment. We can provide medications, get get it delivered. Can you pinpoint at the,
2: at the end kind of when they're going to be passing? Like, I mean, I know you don't have a crystal ball and you can't say in yeah, three are hours. There like,
3: are there like signs or some sort of symptoms? I hate to use the word symptoms, but is there some sort of pattern that... Um, people should be looking for or that kind of like signals that something's coming.
1: Yeah. So that's what, um, like I was telling you earlier, I feel like surprisingly, a lot of people, you know, when they sign on to hospice, they really do want to know, you know, how I, they, they always say, I know you don't know, but how long do you think I have? Or I think because they're used to so many people being like, well, you never know. And I feel like out of anybody in the healthcare, hospice nurses and doctors do, I, I don't want to say we do know, but we, we will give you our best timeline, right? And I, and I have learned enough to know, to say you never know, <laughs> because that is true. You never know. Uh, I have learned that because um, I used to be way more definite uh, <laughs> a couple of years ago. And now I'm like, actually, you never know. People surprise you um but yeah we try to go I always give ranges right hours to days days to weeks weeks to months so um and that it's the closer you get to death the easier it is to gauge how long right when someone's in the month's range it's a little vague it's hard to know so you just sort of say probably months and they usually just look like they're sleeping a lot and eating less sleeping a lot eating less so it's kind of vague a little more withdrawn um, just not really their like perky self yeah, or not even perky because maybe that's not their personality, but their personality is a little different, right? It's a little more dampened maybe, not because they're even sad, but just because I feel like people like are cocooning. Our bodies almost know what's happening and starts preparing itself. And then as you get closer, um, like, um, like the, uh, around the month range is when people can start visioning. That's uh, like eighty percent of our patients' um, vision, which means they see un- they see like unseen things that we don't see. Actually, I'm not i am actually—I'm not actually sure if it's eighty percent for sure. I know eighty percent of people have witnessed this, so it's like p- either the patients experiencing it or or our families are experiencing it. Um, and that usually happens about a month out, where people will start seeing dead relatives. Um, just seeing the unseen, seeing things that we don't see. And then when you're getting into the actively dying phase, which is usually a few hours to a few days, it's very obvious you have very specific symptoms that almost every single person in the death and dying, uh, like in that realm will have. And that's changes in breathing, changes in skin color, unconscious, no food or water, um, terminal secretion sometimes. So I just gave you a whole mouth
2: load, but <laughs> yeah. And I noticed the the breathing thing with my mom, my dad, like around my mom passed at five in the morning and around like three o'clock. He he's like, you know, cause we got to, we paid for another hospital bed um, so that we can sleep next to her so that, um, you know, I don't know. We, that's just, was our process. And so, um, so my dad's like, I need to stretch my legs. Can you come lay in here with her? Um, and so, and I have a handicapped brother who never shuts up. And he was like, he's just always jabber jabberjong. Dah, 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 dah. And so he came in there with me and laid with my mom. And the craziest part was he was so quiet, like didn't make a peep. Just what my mom needed, which was like calm and peace. And we were talking and, you know, I was the only one out of everybody that would tell her I finally had told her it's okay to go. It's okay. It's okay. You can go. And within 15 minutes, her breathing got a little bit different. So I called my dad in and I'm like, dad, her breathing's getting kind of weird. And he's like, well, it's been getting weird the, you know, for the past like day, but you know, it's, she it's, I'm like, no, I think something, I mean, you don't know what's happening because I've never experienced anything like that. And I'm like, I just feel something's different. Like I can't put my finger on it. I I just, something's different. You need to get in here. And she was, and about three minutes later, we all, you know, and she passed away. And the craziest part is my dad asked her for one last kiss and she moved her lips and then she died. And then she died. I know it sounds like a movie and it sounds really like cliche, but that is really what happened, you
1: know? And I, love, I mean, I don't, I don't love it. I mean, I, I love
2: that. That was, yeah. Like our ending was better than like what I was expecting. Cause I did have friends that have been in that same experience that have warned me about noises and rattles. And I'm like, Oh God, I just need to like mentally prepare myself. And you know, there wasn't any of that, which I am very thankful for. And I know not that many people you know, there's, doesn't have that same experience and whatever, but, you know, I bet you probably see a lot of situations like how I have, where it is more beautiful and, you know,
1: not as scary as you expect. I don't know. Right. And I think too, the, the, what I always try to say is like during the actively dying phase, which is a few hours to sometimes a few days, depending on the person, um, there's going to be weird things that happen, right? So like weird, your, your loved one might not look the same, you know, the changes in breathing, changes in co- skin color, their mouths might be open, their eyes might be open. So weird things that look weird are abnormal, but they're actually really normal. So I have a lot of people who say, oh my gosh, so my so-and-so's death was awful. It was so sad. It was so scary, you know, all these things. And I'll, I'll ask them to explain, you know, what it looked like, what happened. And really, in reality, no one just explained to them that, "Oh, wow, that's just a really normal death. That's okay. Like, that's and, and <laughs> nothing's actually wrong." Especially if the person looks comfortable. If they if they don't look like they're grimacing, if they're not restless, if they don't look, um, you can tell if someone they're almost like babies, right? You can tell if a baby is fussy mm-hmm. or not doing well, uh, even though they can't tell you.
2: The way you explain it is, is easy I mean I don't understand
3: why everyone doesn't do that
1: (laughs) yeah I know I know
3: Julie I'm scrolling through your Instagram which again is incredible so I will just say if to the listeners out there like take a chance and look at your page because there is so much information on here but one thing that I've seen um You've said a couple of times as you say, let the patient be your guide. And you've talked about how um when they don't want to eat or drink or take their medicine that it's okay and that you're not hurting them, you're not causing them to stress. That's I've never heard that before. And I feel like if I was in that situation and my loved one was like not drinking, I would be thinking, uh crap, I gotta keep this person hydrated. You gotta drink your water, come on, just have a sip, you know. So why is it that it's okay to just let them tell you what they need versus us overpowering with what we think they need?
1: I know. Well, let me tell you, I, I've learned this. So one, like you get taught this, right? But I've also witnessed this, and I've witnessed the opposite too. So just so you know, in the ICU, we don't do. We don't let the patient be our guide. <laughs> we insert sensual uh, catheters and pump them full of fluid and do all types of stuff to try to keep them alive. So I've seen both sides, just FYI, when I, after I tell you this um, and, and I've truly witnessed, I mean, I've witnessed our bodies are r- miraculous and not miraculous in the sense of they're going to keep us alive forever. That's not our, that's not the human intent, at least not right now. And so since that's not the case, it's like our bodies are truly built to die. They are. They are built and they will take care of ourselves and they will take care of us in our death, in our dying process, in our end of life process. And the less we mess with that mechanism that's inside us, it's like truly built there, just like a woman, for the most part, could give a natural birth if she had to, (laughs) not (laughs) two months to, but, you know, uh, like our body will, our body will do its thing.
3: One of the things I was curious about is because I feel like in... This field, it's very much learn on the job. Is there something that you truly did learn on the job that you weren't prepared through school or books or even nursing in general um, that you learned when you got into hospice?
1: Yes, everything. Everything. Okay. <laughs> yes, that's seriously. How, I mean, especially. Well, first off, nursing. Any nurses who are listening to this. <laughs> nursing school does not matter. Just get through it and pass your NCLEX. And then you are going to learn everything on the job.
3: Is that intimidating though? Cause like, I'm an overly prepared person. So I feel like that scares the crap out of me that like, do you feel prepared when you go? Yeah, you do. It it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that. Like,
1: um, but looking back, like hindsight's twenty twenty. you know, it doesn't feel uh, like nursing school will prepare you to get a good job if you get good grades, you can pass the NCLEX, and you can have some confidence. But in general, you really do learn. You just learn it. It all starts clicking, I guess. Right? It, like I'm sure mm-hmm. if I didn't have nursing school, I wouldn't have been able to do the job. Right? But like. And what what it does is it starts clicking everything in your brain where you're like, oh, now I get it. Now I see what they're talking about that I learned and took that test two years ago. And, you know, like I, it, it all starts kind of making sense and it takes a lot of time. I think it took me two years to like two years of working as a nurse full time <laughs> to like stop having nightly dreams of nursing where I was just like. <laughs> Beeping and things, and like you know, just like constant—not even nightmares, but just like just all-consuming because it's just so it's all new. You're just learning so much, and then you switch. Then you switch gears, right? To from ICU to hospice, and then it's a whole another set of things that you have to. Now, granted, uh, you, I don't think anyone should go into hospice nursing right out of school. It's too. It's too like niche. You have to have a really good background. And assessment skills and knowing what the opposite of like hospice looks like, you know, so you can really have a good ex- assessment and know what's really happening with your patient and how you can fix it, and how you can help.
2: How do you not bring, bring the stuff home with you? Like, how do you separate being constantly around like death and dying and stuff like that? Like, how do you not come home and be sad and just be able to watch like Real Housewives or something, you know?
1: (laughs) The ICU felt like that. The ICU was very hard for me to not bring it home. There was something about this like hurry up and care, but you can't care if you're hurrying, like at least for my personality, I'm sure not everybody, but my personality was like constantly feeling rushed, constantly feeling like you couldn't actually connect with the person in the bed. Like, Like it was just like it was that was I brought that home to me home all the time. I could not turn it off. And so I was like miserable. I hated it. Um, I still was there for nine years. It was crazy. Um, and don't get me wrong. Like ICU nurses are badass, and not, not everyone would have that experience. Like I did. Uh, That was my experience because it's my personality probably, but, um, that's not how I feel with hospice nursing. I did not feel that way.
3: Julie, is there anything in closing that you think is an important takeaway that we haven't touched on or any last words of wisdom? I hate saying like, no, not really, but really, I feel like we, we talked
1: on, on, on so many wonderful things. So no, I feel, I feel like this was great.
3: So we just do, um, some kind of like fun, silly questions at the end. This question is one that we ask all of our guests. What song would be the perfect theme song for your job? Oh God, for my job? Yes.
1: For my job. I'm so bad with songs. This is going to show how dorky I am. No. <laughs> I actually thought of like a Moana song. <laughs> I,
3: you know, I can see it. Know, let it go. Oh, that's oh, a good one.
1: There you go. That's a good one. See? And I don't even have kids.
3: <laughs> ridiculous.
2: Oh, everyone loves Disney. Everyone
1: does.
3: I mean, I could see okay. Moana, too. I got the visual of, like, the grandmas, the stingray, just, like... Doing Me, too. Dancing. I know.
1: Yes, exactly. I yeah. I couldn't think of the name of the song, but I love... I,
2: love- I pictured it with the one where she gets on the canoe and then goes out. Like, she's going to, like, go into the open ocean. What's that one? <gasps>
3: I'm going to have to watch Moana tonight when I fall asleep. Because I literally watch a Disney movie every night to fall because like, I'm 12. Because here I go. <laughs> Yes,
2: no the was. Oh my god,
1: that's, so, you that's exactly right. I'm not gonna sing, but I could because I know I know every single song to Moana. No kidding. I pictured really quick her walking up to the dragon or not the dragon to the, the fire monster being like, I know your name. Oh, <laughs> And then, like, turning the fire thing into the green. Like, I don't know. It's just so moving and touching.
3: And- <laughs> right? I, I cried a lot in that movie. So, yeah, I get it. Me, I
1: too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what profession would you tell dinner guests you do if you didn't want to spend the night talking about your job?
1: <laughs> That's perfect. I would tell them I, was, I worked at Starbucks. <laughs>
2: That's a good one. But a lot of people like Starbucks too. So don't you think
1: they would be like, well, what about da da da? And I'd go there enough. I'd be like, yeah, well, I'd probably just be able to make up some stuff. <laughs> I love me I love Starbucks.
2: I have one. Uh, what is what is one of your hobbies?
1: TikTok and Instagram are one of, was one of my hobbies. And now it feels a little bit like a full time job. <laughs> but I still love it. Don't get me wrong. One of my hobbies. I also, um, before COVID, I was really involved in improv. I used to do improv a lot.
3: Okay. Yeah. Nice. I've got one that I feel is appropriate. What would your last meal be? Oh, Big Mac, large fry
1: and diet coke for McDonald's.
3: <laughs> I love. And you answered that quick, so you knew. <laughs> yeah. I thought about this. I thought about this. That's a good one.
2: What uh, would you be embarrassed to admit that you hoard? <laughs>
1: okay um this is not really hoarding because i'm not really a hoarder i'm very more like super organizer throw everything out um but i drink topo chico which is the sparkling water if you guys aren't familiar like it's never going to come back to my life like i drink it so much I have like a case in my car, two in my fridge. I have like a couple empty bottles around my room. It's, it's crazy. (laughs) I, I'm not kidding you. When I, I Instagram them once a week to be like, Hey, can we collab? I just, (laughs) please pick me. Don't vote Chico so much. I need to be your spokesperson. They don't get back to me. (laughs) They don't care.
3: Here's one. Okay. Which is worse to you? Tangled Christmas tree lights or lost luggage? Oh, they're
1: both really bad. Those are both very bad things, especially for this girl. <laughs> so, um, I guess I guess the worst is lost luggage, but I really don't like tangled Christmas tree lights. But lost luggage would be would be worse. Okay. <laughs> Do you like Coke or Pepsi? Oh, Coke. <laughs> well,
3: yeah, since that was I your die on that hill. I will <laughs> die on that hill. the Diet Coke and Fountain. Fountain <laughs> Diet fountain, Diet Coke. That is a <clears throat> I was just telling my husband for Christmas. I was like, it is like a bucketless item for me to have a fountain Coke machine in my house, which I know is like such like fancy people things and I really want one so bad. But probably not going to happen because I, I looked that it would up be. and they're like $3,000. <laughs> It's not cheap. So it's like definitely not happening. And yeah, I agree. I would only need the one flavor. I just want Diet Coke.
2: Well, it's like people that get um, Sonic, that ice machine that's like makes oh, the Sonic uh, ice. The
3: little cubes. Yeah. Yeah. That's worth it.
1: Cool. Listen, if I start getting really, really TikTok famous, I'm getting you a Coke machine <laughs>
3: yes. and Sonic ice. There you go. All right. Well, thank you so much. All right, you guys. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much.
2: Have a good night. Take care. All right. Bye. You too.
3: Okay. She's fantastic. Oh, like the best. Like I would like to be friends with her. She is totally welcome into the friend group. Yes. If I'm in need of hospice service, I will be reaching out to her 100%. Or any information. Go check out hospice nurse Julie because there's so many nuggets of information and tips and just like normalizing things that you didn't realize. It's it's incredible. Incredible resource. Incredible. She was
2: Mm -hmm. just a great person that you would want at the end.
3: She's light and bubbly and sweet and genuine. And I feel like she would- Cause you know, tensions are high. People are emotional. They're angry or they're upset or, Mm -hmm. you know, confused. And I feel like she would be so good at leveling it all down, Mm -hmm. bringing everybody down and keeping it calm and explaining and like talking through like what's going to happen and where we're at versus like, okay, this is where we are. And we'll deal with that when we get there instead of like, okay, this is coming over the hill. Like, we need to be prepared. Like, I just feel like she would power with knowledge, and I think that that is, like, rare.
2: Yeah, I feel like she'd take you to Starbucks and tell you what's up.
3: Yes, and I love that, and I appreciate (laughs) the, like, authenticity of it. You know, it's like, let's not be afraid to say dying. Let's not be afraid to say this is where we are, and let's not be afraid to have a conversation of what we're going to do about it.
2: I loved all the information, especially just recently not too long ago in that world. Yeah. I wish I, this was two years ago or a year ago. Yeah. We would have had this conversation, but hopefully I never have to do it again, but you never know. But at least now I know I have a lot more info.
3: Yeah. From someone you can tell that she truly cares. Oh, you yeah. Know? She cares about The process and the people involved, you know, it's not just money and checking in and checking out. And I thought that it was really interesting where she says that there's no pain in dying, you know, and I think that that's like, I don't know, I felt a lot of comfort when she said that personally. Yeah, me too. You know, she just said, like, if there is pain, it's the disease itself, it's not the actual act of dying. And I think, you know, being fearful of death, it's like, oh my God, it's going to hurt and what's going to happen. And having her say that was really, really like reassuring it makes
2: me feel better knowing that maybe they didn't feel any pain.
3: Right. Like she was kind of saying, like your body is like, like how's she compared to to childbirth? Like your body is trained to just automatically Uh know what to do. So I wonder if it's like the same sort of process, like your body shuts down in a way that maybe is peaceful and not painful. And the fact that the hearing is the last thing to go, that Uh is so, I don't know. I, you know, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious, but I feel like, that is very calculated design in humans, you know, like, yeah, they can, we can hear all the way up until the very, 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 very end. Cause that's where you, most people
2: express their love for someone
0: mm-hmm. is they're
2: saying it. There's, mm-hmm. you know, speaking it to them. They want them to hear it and whatever thing you want to say, like, sorry, or whatever you got to do, you got to say it cause they can hear it.
3: And I think that's so so good and like reassuring and comforting to know it's like, even if they aren't responsive and you're not sure that they can hear you just keep talking. Yeah. They're processing it, you know, and kind of like you said, maybe in a different way, maybe it feels like a dream or what have you, but they the words are getting through.
2: I mean, I don't know until I'm in that situation, but I would hope that it's comforting for that person.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things you, you said when you were telling your story about your mom was You know, you told her that it was okay and that she could go. And I feel like I tried to flip the script. And if I was the one like leaving my child and how hard that would feel from that perspective. But I feel like having your blessing and you giving her that and telling her like, we're going to be okay. Like, it's okay. I feel like I would want that because I feel like, and maybe that's selfish, but I feel like I that would make me feel better you know i mean it doesn't matter
2: how old you are it doesn't matter if you're 5 10 40 or 50 or 80 you're always going to look at your parents differently and especially when you're in that that time you almost like go back to being like a little kid like you still need your parents you still even if you're 80 Or 60 or, you know, you still need them and you still want them to know that you need them, but that sometimes Mm -hmm. you need to be able to let them know that you'll be okay. Even though you might just be lying and at the moment you're not going to be okay, but eventually you're going to be, you're going to be okay. Yeah.
3: I don't know how our next guest tops Julie. I think they're going to have really big shoes to fill and- I don't know what I was expecting. Maybe I was expecting somebody a little bit more guarded and like calculated because in my head to like be in that world, you kind of have to maybe be shut off a little bit so that things didn't impact you. But she is like so polar opposite, you Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) and I wasn't expecting that. I feel
2: like we could go to McDonald's together and hang out with a Big Mac.
3: Right? (laughs) Yeah. Big Macs, Diet Coke, girl after my own heart. That was a good one. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at body to burial.com. If you have any guest suggestions,
2: just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to.
3: Thanks so much, guys. See you next time.